Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. I love talking about running because I love to run. And I I said a stat last time I was on the stage that said 90% of running is mental. It's an old adage. Any runner knows that. But apparently, it's backed up by science now, which is really cool. I mean, whenever you can back up cute quotes by science, it's fun. And what I found out this week is that there is a research facility in, uh, in London, which is normal because I feel like every good researcher comes out of London. I don't know why. But in London, they ran a test on runners. And so they had a control group and they had a test group. And the control group, uh, they, they, Purely just, they watch some neutral documentaries for 90 minutes. They watch a TV show or some kind of thing on the computer that didn't engage their brain whatsoever. Just a neutral documentary. Probably bored bored them stiff, honestly. But then the test group had 90 minutes of a tough, strenuous computer test. They had to, for 90 minutes, take a test on the computer that was tough mentally. It was tough physically because they couldn't take their, their mind away from it. They had to be completely engaged for 90 minutes. And then after that, they had them go and run. And the control group, the documentary group, they ran farther and lasted longer than the people who did the computer test. Because the computer test people, the people who were being taxed mentally, they found out they gave up faster and they didn't put in as much effort because mentally they weren't as strong. And, and that blew my mind because how you feel mentally impacts how you run physically. And I tell my athletes that all the time, you need to be mentally strong. But how true is that of life? When you're not feeling mentally strong, physically, you don't perform as well. Physically, you don't do as much. Mentally, when you've had a tough day at work, when your boss is at your neck, when the timeline and the due date is just at your, at your heels and you're trying to figure out how you're going to get it done, when work stunk, it is so tough to go home and physically be present with your family, physically be present with your spouse, physically raise your kids, physically do the chores around the house because mentally you don't feel as good. Mentally, when you walk into the house and all the chores you asked your loving teenagers to do that they didn't do, but physically you found out they played Xbox and watched Netflix and made more of a mess mentally, you're not in the headspace to calmly explain to them why that's a bad idea. So physically, we resort to, Chris is nodding his head. We may have had a conversation about a similar situation this week, just saying. When you feel good about life, when you feel inspired, when you feel motivated, when things are going well, it's easier to physically do things. When you're feeling good about yourself, good about life, it's easier to say, you know what, I'm going to go and start this. I'm going to go and do that. I'm going to stay committed to this. It's easier. When you don't feel mentally motivated, when you don't feel mentally there, it's even tougher to do the things. How you feel mentally impacts what you do physically. 
Hebrews chapter 12, the key verse of this stride sermon series is this. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I talked last time I was on the stage here that each and every one of us is on this race of life. And the race that is your life is unique to you. You're going to have unique gifts, unique skills, unique purposes, unique passions that are just for you. And it's only your job to run your race. It doesn't mean the race is going to be straightforward. It doesn't mean the race is going to be easy. There are going to be the hill workout days where you feel like you can't even make it. But it's your race. And God's marked it out for you. As I talked about last time as well, that race is a race of life. And that race of life, God has plans for you, plans to prosper you, plans to give you hope in a future. There are things that God has for your life that are so awesome, so great, so unique, that are going to make an impact on this world forever. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that because the word of God says so. I believe that. But what I also believe is that we don't always step into that. We give up before we get that far. The race of life gets too hard. It feels like a hill. It feels like we're not going to make it. So we give in. We let up. Because mentally, we can't take it anymore. Mentally, the demands of life are too hard. Mentally, it's just too difficult to press on because it's, just, it's been a grind lately. So we, we, we don't step fully into all the things that God has for us. So my message I, I'm titling today is called, When Motivation Fails. When motivation fails. Joshua chapter 6. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Can I have my water, please? My son passed on a cold to me this week, which was awesome, and I love him for it. And then Friday I had a youth event, and I lost my voice too. So if I breathe on you, you're not going to get sick. You just have to deal with my raspy voice. Thank you. That was nasally. Holy cow. Thank you. (laughs) Joshua chapter 6. Now, the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. God had promised the Israelites a promised land. They call it a land flowing with milk and honey. In our day and age, this is the perfect land. God said, hey, I have the perfect parcel set out for you. It's big. It's numerous. It's going to be fantastic. It says this in Joshua chapter 1. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to you, the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river to the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. God basically said, look, Israel, you are my people. You are the ones I love. You are my children. I have the best land for you. I will be with you. I will be with you in the whole time. This is coming on the back end of a nation that had been enslaved to the Egyptians for the longest time. They were literally enslaved and captured and being forced to do all the junky labor. They were having to go through all this junky stuff. God rescues them, splits the Red Sea. They walk through on dry ground, and the water takes all up. 
crazy people away. Awesome. Game over. Wouldn't that be nice? Like, there are some people. (laughs) After the Red Sea, I don't want anybody to die, just for the record. Okay? Just for the record. After the Red Sea, it feels like they've got it. They're, they're no longer slave. They're, they're free. They're good, right? No, wrong. They messed up. They made some mistakes. So now for the next 40 years, they got to wander around in the desert waiting to figure out until they can finally come into their promised land. After 40 years, they figure it out. God's like, all right, you're ready. Here comes the promised land. So they are all ready, they're planning, they're strategizing, they're going to cross the Jordan River. They're like, just to make sure this land is good, we're going to send out two little spies to make sure that land is all safe for everybody. They send out the two spies, and they find out there's some big old dudes in the promised land that are kind of holding our land down. Okay, awesome, not great. You talk about mental fatigue, being discouraged. You just got out of slavery. You just got out of a 40-year-long wandering around aimlessly. And now God's like, you're ready to walk into the promised land. The two spies come out and find in Joshua chapter 6, I'll put up there one more time, after God said, I'll be with you, after God said, you know what, this is your land, they send out spies and find this. The other one, Lydia, verse 1. I'll read it to you. I'm too far back. There we go. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Does that sound like somebody who could be easily tipped over? Because it sure doesn't sound like to me. You want to talk about a motivational buzzkill? They finally, finally, finally can step into this promised land. They can finally have this freedom that they've been dreaming of for so long. They are finally ready for it. And what do they find? A big stinking city with some big stinking guards that are ready to just kill them as soon as they step foot onto their property. That is draining. That is exhausting. That is an absolute motivational buzzkill motivation will fail you. We read on in Joshua chapter 6, verse 2. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark, and on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, and then the wall of the city will collapse, and the army will go up, everyone straight in. God's like, hey, I got good news, guys. I know there's a massive, massive, massive city there, but don't worry, I've delivered them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of them for you. All you have to do is walk around the city for six days, once a time, once And then on the seventh day, walk around seven times. There's no strategy there. That's complete randomness. That's like, all right, God, I really, really need some more money because I can't pay my bills. And God's like, all right, I got you. 
Go to this side of the stage, stand on your left foot and drink orange juice in your right hand and scratch your back with your left. That's what, that's what he's essentially saying. It's complete randomness. Complete randomness. But it's by design. Because it's going to require faith by the Israelites to follow a man who is giving them this master plan. And it's faith by Joshua who has to walk it out. This makes absolutely no sense. No sense. To walk around a big city seven times. Really 14 times. It makes no sense. There are things that God might be asking you to do right now that make no sense. Love your wife, love your husband. But God, um, no, 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 no. You don't know what they did. They wronged me. They messed me up. No, no, no. That doesn't make any sense. I need you to go over there and share your faith with your coworker who's an atheist. No, 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 God. I don't think you understand. He's an atheist. He doesn't believe in you. Um, I'm not going to have that conversation with him. It makes no sense. It doesn't make sense until it does. Motivation will fail you. Motivation will not always be there. Do what I love about parenting books. They give you all the motivation in the world until you actually have a kid. <laughs> With the first kid, we read like a ton of books. Like you go to the hospital and, and they give you this binder of all the stuff of like, okay, if your kid's choking, here's what to do. Um, here's a feeding schedule. Here's how to put them to bed if they can't fall asleep. It is an absolute novel of information. And so with our first kid, we brought that home and Meg would fall asleep and I'd sit there on my side of bed with a highlighter. You know, just this is all good stuff. Can I tell you what I did? They gave me the same book with number two. You got the book? Oh, thank you. <laughs> With number two, it's out the window. Because it's, it's all bets are off. Who knows? That second kid is like just a whole nother ball of wax. And can I tell you, those theories are great until they're screaming and you can't make it stop. Just rub their back and pat their... I'm doing it! It's not working! You have all the motivation in the world before that actual baby is there and that kid is there. But all parents know there are nights and days when they are not sleeping, when they are throwing up profusely, when you've changed 27 diapers in a matter of four hours. There are days that motivation of being the Instagram mom or dad who just got it all together is completely out the window. What do you do? Motivation will fail you. The demands of life will zap your motivation. You'll be feeling great and then life will happen, right? Life happens all the time. It zaps you. Motivation's a great thing. It's the reason we go to hear motivational speakers. It's the reason we go to camps and retreats and all these things. Motivation is a really good thing. I'm not trying to say it's not. But we as human beings are not meant to live on peer motivation all the time. We'd be on red alert. We'd be on adrenaline. We would be completely, completely stressed out if we had to live on motivation every single second of the day. 
but yet we can still look for it. If you type on YouTube, one of the highest searched things ever or across any category is motivational speeches. People need motivation. They need to feel the strength and the encouragement because it uplifts you, right? Motivation makes you feel good. It makes you feel like you can conquer your giant. It makes you feel like you can climb that mountain. Motivation is the thing that keeps you going when you don't want to go anymore. Motivation is a good thing, but motivation will fail you. What do you do? When you're not motivated to continue fighting in your marriage, what do you do when you're not motivated to continue paying off the debts you want to pay? What do you do when you're not motivated to get on the floor and hang out with your kids after a long day? What do you do when you're not motivated to go to work and to continue doing the same thing you've done for so long? What do you do when you're not motivated to pursue the dream that God has for you? What do you do? When you're not motivated to ask him and pray to him when you're going through something good and bad, what do you do? When the last thing you want to do is open up your Bible, you know you probably should. What do you do? What do you do? Motivation will fail you, but discipline will sustain you. Can I tell you, discipline is not something I enjoy talking about in the slightest at all. Nobody likes to talk about discipline in either sense of the word. There's the ch- child discipline part or, or, or when you're raising kids, some people prefer spanking, some people don't. You discipline your kids how you discipline your kids. This is a different kind of discipline. God's not out here with a massive hand spanking us when we have issues. That'd be really weird. <laughs> and often. I'm talking about self-discipline. I love this definition. Self-discipline, the ability to pursue what one thinks is right despite temptations to abandon it. Pursuing what one thinks is right despite the temptation to abandon it. Discipline is something you see all the time when you run. I ran a marathon last year. I mentioned that last time I was on stage, but I didn't talk about this part very often. When I signed up for my marathon, I was ecstatic. I was psyched. I got my, my shoes. I got my, I was like, babe, I need some snacks because I'm going to be like, the best part about running is you get to eat all the time and more. Like when you go on a 20 mile run, you feel no remorse coming back and slamming four zebra cakes <laughs> at all. There's no, no remorse. Because you just ran so far and so long. And so I was all excited. We got all the snacks. But about four months in of running four or five days a week, it got really old after a while. It got really sickening. On Saturdays, those were our long runs. So four or five months in, your Saturdays are 16 to 18 mile runs. That takes a while. That takes a long time. And so it was a lot easier for me to think about, wake up in the morning at like 7, 6 o'clock, let's be honest, we have kids, 6 o'clock on Saturday morning, and have chocolate chip pancakes and watch cartoons with my son and daughter. That sounded fantastic. Do you know what didn't sound fantastic? Putting on my shoes and running 18 miles. Did not sound fun at all. And there were many days where, I'll be honest with you, I chose that. I chose the chocolate chip pancakes. 
put him in a smiley face. It was awesome. (laughs) But I learned through my marathon training that there are days you don't want to run. There are days you really want to do anything but that. But I still needed to put on my shoes, lace them up, and run because the goals I had, the thing I set out to accomplish, the very thing I desperately wanted was contingent on me pushing through that desire to not continue. I may not have wanted to run in that moment, but I knew I wanted to cross that finish line at 26.2 miles. I may not have wanted to wake up at 5.30 and put on running shoes and spend the next three hours running, but I knew that in three months later, I wanted to be able to say, I ran a marathon. And that discipline, that desire to know what was ahead was the thing that forced my body to get out of bed and to do it. Joshua chapter 6, verse 6. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. I'm going to spark notes this rest of this version for you. Day one, they walk around. They do the things that God called them to do. They walk around this big old city of Jericho. They do it. Awesome. Day two, They wake up, they walk around, they do it. Day three, day four, day five, day six. They did it all six days. But that's all the text says. Can I tell you what I think probably happened? I know it would happen if I was in there. Day one, they're feeling great. Yes, Jericho is ours. Let's go. They walk around the city. Life is good. Day two, they wake up early in the morning. Oh, we got to walk around the city again. All right, here we go. Day two, they walk around. Day three, sunlight comes up. Got to walk around this puppy again. You got to be kidding. Like, what is this even going to work? Like, why are we doing this? Walk around, probably like this, all all annoyed. Day four, they start to look up. Oh, there are some big guards up there. And they can really kill us really easily. They know we're walking around in a circle. Day five. Is this Joshua guy for real? Is he for real? Why would God have us walk around in a circle six times? That's not God. God, is, God that's not God's plan. That's stupidity. Day six. I wonder if we can hide in the bushes and not do this. And here comes day seven. Oh, yeah, we got to walk around seven times. Boom, 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 boom. But I can imagine by time five or six, I can only imagine what what the ticker's thinking at this point. Is this going to work? What if it doesn't work? What if we just wasted our time? And if we wasted our time, what are we going to do? I love this story, guys. I love this story. Joshua chapter 6, verse 15. On the seventh day, 
They got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. Thank you for the clarification. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Verse 20, when the trumpets sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, so everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. I don't want us to miss out on what God has for us because we're not willing to go through the tough stuff. I don't want to miss out the things that God has for your life because it's too easy to give in. You might not feel like you have a desire for God. Sometimes when I say that a life for God and all that type of stuff, you immediately tune me out because quite frankly, you don't really want anything like that. But can I tell you that a life that God has for you is not one that is just purely religious. It's one of freedom. It's one of joy. It's one of purpose. You will not find a life apart from God that has more purpose, more joy, and more fulfillment in it. He has a life set out for you to be an amazing person, an amazing spouse, an amazing parent, whatever it is. Even if you're not married, don't have kids, guess what? You still have an insane amount of purpose. You don't have less or more purpose based upon what your family looks like. Your race is different than his race, and her race is different than his race. Each of our races is different, but motivation will fail you. And it's up to you if you're going to stay the course and stay disciplined. It's up to you if you're willing to walk through the good, the bad, and the ugly to get to the great things that are waiting for you. Discipline will carry you through when your emotions won't. Discipline. What do I mean by discipline? I don't mean like you need to just get on your knees and pray for four hours. I mean staying committed to the things you know are going to bring you closer to God. Coming to church on a Sunday morning is a whole lot harder now. Because can I tell you something? Rolling over and having chocolate chip pancakes at 9.30, 9.45 and turning on my ugly mug is a lot easier than getting up and getting ready and getting the kids in the car and coming here. But I'll tell you, Church is not just about the guy speaking. It's about the body of people interacting together. Staying disciplined. Staying disciplined. Opening up the Bible when it's the last thing you want to do. God, I'm mad at you right now. I'm mad. Where are you? What's going on? You said we had this. You promised us the promised land, but we don't have it. Watching March Madness all night sounds a whole heck of a lot better than opening up my word. March Madness is great. But there have been many, many times when I have not wanted to open up my Bible. Because one, I don't want to, just straight up. Two, I don't want to draw closer to God right now. I got to figure some stuff out. Or three, I don't see the purpose. Keep in mind, your pastor's telling you this right now, all right? Discipline. I'm so thankful for things like Bible plans and things because it's, I want to finish this. I'm going to open up my word because I know that God's going to meet me here. I know when I open up my word, even though I don't want to right now, I know God's going to meet me here because he always does. Discipline. Discipline to prayer. 
I don't feel like praying right now, God. Quite frankly, I don't want to spend any time with you right now. But God, I just please pray that you would help me discipline. It's not just spiritual things. Don't get that messed up either. Love. Love is a choice sometimes. It's not a feeling all the time. Married couples in the room, you know sometimes love is a choice. Parents, sometimes you know love is a choice. Sometimes you want to bang your head through the wall. But you don't. Because you love. Solitude and rest. As Americans, we stink at this part. I've started taking a Sabbath, which is a biblical concept that I just straight up ignored for a long time. We're on Saturdays. If I don't, if I don't text you back, call you back on Saturday, it's not because I don't like you. It's because I'm Sabbathing. I'm taking a day out of my week to rest, to play with my kids, and to do nothing else but spend time with him and my family. And it has changed my life. We need to rest need to be solitude, but it takes discipline. There are a lot of projects, a lot of work things, a lot of things I should or could be doing on my Sabbath, but I don't. Discipline. Budgets. Discipline. Budgets are fun, aren't they? When you got that brand new thing, you really want, oh man, do I want that brand new Sitka jacket, that $600 but I should probably pay some bills first. Discipline. Discipline's fun, isn't it? No, it's not. Discipline's the worst. But can I tell you what? Discipline might not be fun, but discipline will get to where you want to be. When you are saying discipline, you do the things you know you should be. In the moment, getting to do that might not be fun, but can I tell you when you're actually in the process of them, you start to love that you're doing it. I've noticed one of the toughest things of getting to the gym, especially in the winter, is getting into the car to go. When you get to the gym, you're like, all right, we're here. But the discipline to pull yourself up and get into the car is the toughest part. It's the same way with the Lord. Discipline is not always fun, but discipline will bring you right into the middle of your purpose with God. The last thing I want to end with this morning, as soon as we came up with the name of this sermon series, I thought about this story. Again, I ran track in high school, for better or for worse. But something my coach said to me all the time that has stuck with me forever, is he said, you need to find your stride. I had no idea what that meant. When I joined track, I thought, I'm just going to run. But apparently you can run a wrong way. I didn't know that. There's actually technique to running. Who knew? But he said something to me. He said, find your stride. And I said, coach, I don't know what that means. He said, think about it this way. He goes, you have short legs. Thanks. <laughs> he goes, no, seriously. He goes, you have short legs. So if you are trying to run like this all the time, you're going to be overexerting your legs. You're going to be pulling your hamstrings too much. You're going to be overexerting yourself. Okay, that makes sense. He goes, in the same way, if, you, if, you're, if your strides are too short, you're constricting your quads and making them too short, and you're burning more energy by not getting as far. Okay, that makes sense. So you've got to find the stride. You've got to find your sweet spot. 
You got to find the spot in your running stance that allows you to go farther and faster than doing it any other way. You got to find your stride and it's unique to you. This kid over here, he's going to run different than you. His stride is going to be longer than yours, but it doesn't mean it's better. It just means it's different. You got to find your stride. And sure enough, that helped my running, but I was thinking about that. When it comes to living for God, when it comes to having a life for God, when it, when it comes to living your best life, you need to find your stride. Don't look at that family over there and go, they got everything. They're so great. My life is not as great as theirs. No, that's their life and this is your life. Find your stride. You parent your kids this way, they parent their kids that way. Find your stride. When it comes to living and pursuing God, find your stride. I am the worst in the morning. I can't get up for the life of me. This beautiful woman sets her alarm at 4.30 in the morning. I would rather lick sand. (laughs) But at 9 o'clock, 9.30, she is done. She is like just gone. I'm just getting started at 9.30. That's my stride. So she spends time with Jesus in the morning. She pours herself a cup of coffee. She opens up her devotionals. That's her time. I'm useless at that time. And so for me, my stride is when the house is quiet, when the kids are nestled in, when the dogs curl up next to me, that's when I open up my devotional. That's when I read my word. That's when I pray because that's my time. That's my stride. Some of you can lock yourselves in a closet and pray to God for two hours. Some of you struggle to pray for 30 seconds. It's not better or worse. It's just your stride. It's just different. Some of you are ready to go deep and you want to open up all these really tough theological books. Some of you are like ready to just like dive in and go crazy. Some of you are like, I've never even opened up the Bible in my life. Find your stride. You're no better or worse than the next person sitting next to you. You're just on a different part of your race. And so my challenge today for all of us, I struggle with messages like this. Because I grew up going to a very traditional church and nothing against those churches. I love those churches. For some people, those churches are fantastic. But what I took away from those churches was that if you don't do this, you're going straight to hell and you're going to burn. That didn't sit well with me because I I didn't know where to start. I didn't know what to do. Cool, I can stop doing this or start doing this, but I don't know what's beyond that. And so I've made it my life mission to not ever preach that way. And so when you talk about discipline, sometimes it feels that way. But I don't want you to confuse discipline with shame. Discipline becomes habits. And habits are the things that will carry you through. Some days spending time with God is easier than others. But I'll tell you there's not a single day I spend with God that's not fruitful. That's not just, there are days when getting alone with God is the toughest thing to do, but can I tell you what I do? When I can just sit alone and just ask God for help and not having these all lengthy prayers of going, oh, dear heavenly father, oh, thine and thy glory, but no, God, would you help? I need your help right now, Lord. The peace that comes in my heart in that moment 
changes me forever. So this morning, my challenge to you is to find your stride. What are you going to do today when you go home? What are you going to do tonight? I believe God has some insanely exciting things for every single person in this room. And for some of us, we've been running away from him. Because we don't feel good enough. We don't feel worthy. We don't feel like we can do that or be that. And God wants you to run your race. He wants you to welcome him into your life. So this morning, will you, will you do me a big favor here? Would you close your eyes if you're, if you're comfortable with it? If you're not, you don't have to. But today, I just want to pray for those in the room who maybe need to make things right with the Lord. Maybe you're not in a place where you fully believe. You don't have the questions, the, the tough questions that are on your heart. <clears throat> and it's been tough with the Lord recently. You've been angry. You've been upset. But I just believe that today in this place, God wants to show that he's a loving father. He's a God who has answers, who's got plans, who wants to break through the tough things in our life. But we just need to welcome him in. So I did this on Friday with our students. This is a personal thing. But if you're comfortable with that and you're going, you know what? Maybe for the first time ever, Maybe not. Maybe I just need to make things right. If you just need Jesus to be a part of your life again, to bring that freedom, to bring that hope, to bring that purpose, and you need that in your life right now, I want you just as an act of faith, just put your hand right up and down. I want to pray for you. Just right up and down. I see those hands. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, there are days when believing in you is tough. There are days when staying the course and doing what's right is not easy. And God, there are many days where we choose the wrong choice. We know what's right. We know what to do. We know what not to do, but we do the opposite. But God, that's what is so amazing about you is that you love us in spite of those things. You love us through those things. So Jesus, for the hands that were raised, for the hands that weren't, we welcome you into our lives. And we ask God that as we walk out of this place today, may we just draw into you. May we push into you because we know you will come through for us, Lord. We're so thankful for what you want to do in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.